What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Sternke. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm here today with co-host and friend, uh, partner in crime, all the crimes we do, Matt. Uh, Matt Tebby's here as well. Do I need a lawyer for this intro? Sounds like I need to get a lawyer. Yeah. You're implicating <clears throat> no, me. No, you just don't feel feel free to just uh, say all your crimes. Look. All the crimes. I'm an Enneagram 4. You know this. You know I always have a guilty mm-hmm. conscience, and I I don't know <laughs> if I appreciate you uh, exploiting that publicly. Yeah, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> I wasn't intending to exploit you. It's uh, a, well, a turn of phrase. But I do anyway. like to be exploitative in my vulnerability, so I'll be tweeting my repentance <laughs> later. Yes. I'll make up some um, crimes and be really sorry uh-huh. for them and self-indulgent yeah. in my sadness uh-huh. about them. All right? Are you happy yeah. now? Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. I'm super happy <laughs> Is this that. what you want? Is this the world I you want? I expect nothing less. I expect nothing less. <laughs> um, hey, by the way, listeners, uh, you'll, note it, you'll note that Christy is not with us today. And the only reason, the only reason that Christy can't join us for this intro to this podcast is that she is, again, having internet issues. So I don't know what's going on out there in Colorado. I don't know if there's any, uh, any, any friends that uh, live in Colorado that can just like, uh, that know about internet stuff. Hey. I don't know if there's like prayer warriors out there. There's like, maybe there's Colorado principalities Springs, are powers. you listening? You need to Colorado fix it. Springs. Get in shape. Fix it. Enough of this. Yeah. Knock it off. Get in shape. If anybody knows any like officials in Colorado <laughs> Springs that you can appeal to, to get some fiber in there or or something, it is nuts how difficult it is to get good internet uh, to Christie's home so she can join us on these podcasts. So, uh, yeah, I, we're calling. It's an APB calling all uh, uh, calling all units. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. yeah, pray pray for Christie's internet. If you know any, uh, if you know anybody in Colorado Springs, it it's, it appears to be an infrastructure problem. It's like she can't just she just can't get good internet. Yeah. So anyway. You know, you know anyway, who doesn't struggle with that. internet. You know who doesn't struggle with internet, Ben. Who's that? Who's that? Uh, Catherine McNeil, our guest today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. <laughs> great, great segue. That's she's, exactly what we talked about with her on this interview. Internet. Yeah, her signal was great. 
And uh, we we didn't talk much about it because it wasn't an issue. Um, But we talked to her today about... You only have to talk about the internet when it's an issue. (laughs) We talked to her today about love, how love uh, interacts differently with people uh, based upon their proximity and their Mm -hmm. uh, relationship to us, neighbors, strangers, um, and even enemies. Catherine was uh, thoroughly delightful to chat with, and her book is incredible. So I commend this podcast to you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do these intros, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of uh, see what's going on, like in the life of kind of gravity right now. Uh, but also just to tell you like, Hey, we, we had a great interview. We don't, we don't tend to release uh, bad interviews. Nope. Like every once in a while, every once in a while, I feel like we, we have one and we just decide not to release it. <laughs> so the only ones that get on. So if you've been on our podcast uh, and you've never heard it publicly released, I'm joking. Um, <clears throat> but no, I, yeah, we, we want to commend this interview to you. Uh, Catherine's mm-hmm. great. I, w- I was not familiar with her before uh, this interview, as is the case with a lot of our interviews. Yeah. We're going to meet a lot of cool people. The work that she does in this book. Do this. That's kind of the cool part about this job. You mm-hmm. get to meet a lot of cool people. So, yeah. Anyway, Catherine's cool. Here's our interview right. with her. Today, we're happy to welcome Catherine McNeil. She's the author of Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. Catherine writes about the creative and redemptive work of God in our lives. She's the author of two other books as well, Long Days of Small Things and All Shall Be Well. Catherine studies theology, has three kids she keeps alive and cares for, She's got a big garden and has two jobs, and in all that has found time to join us today on the Gravity Podcast. Catherine, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Two jobs. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. You know, I... (laughs) At the time that I said that, I was doing two very different kinds of writing. One was the the book, Spiritual Formation, Devotional... um, and the other was kind of marketing and donor development copy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's it's still it's both writing, but it's two really different muscles. Yes. So, yeah. As as someone who is currently doing both of those kinds of writing, I definitely know what you mean. Yeah, but it's fun. It's yeah. and it's good to go back and forth. Cool. Well, we're talking about uh, not the donor writing today, but the the spiritual formation writing today. Yeah. 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 So you wrote this book, fearing bravely. Um, and it's a book about reckoning with the reality of fear in our lives and learning to live faithfully with it. Um, and what struck me, I don't know, maybe we can jump in here. What struck me is, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, kind of, we live in a no fear culture where it's really super Mm. trendy or it's what, what's brave is to demonstrate no fear, right? And sometimes there's a triumphalistic kind of I kissed fear goodbye sort of thing in uh, the <laughs> Christian world. But you, your book is much more of an invitation to sort of befriend fear and live to tell about it. Yeah. And I, I wonder if you could just tell us, how did you get to that place with fear in your life? And then how did you come to decide to write a book about that? Well, 
How long do you have? Those are great questions. <laughs> um, you know, I do in Fearing Bravely, I mention that fear is like a frenemy. Um, I think we don't take a lot of close analysis of the role that fear plays in our life. And as I did that, I, I felt that a frenemy was the best term I could come up with. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It kind of means like a friend that's kind of toxic, you know. <laughs> uh, and what strikes me is how very necessary fear is. Like, I don't think it was really important to me that we don't title this like no fear or faith over fear, or any kind of a slogan that would fail to recognize that fear is a really important component of our human psyche and our, our packaging. Um, if I don't realize that the stove is hot and that the fire is going to burn me and that the cars whizzing by on Interstate 80 are going to kill me, I won't live very long. And it's important for us to realize that there are guardrails to our existence and there are limits and we need to be aware of that. But on the other hand, um, we, I think, become slaves to fear and we become addicted to fear. And just like anything that our body needs, our bodies can be exploited um, to feed into these things over and over and over again until we lose all sense of moderation or wisdom or health even. And um, it's interesting that you said we have a no fear culture because um, I think that our rhetoric might be saying, no fear, um, go for it. In fact, I think we're being fed a steady, steady diet of fear. Um, constantly being told warnings. Constantly learning to see our neighbors, definitely strangers, definitely enemies from a perspective of, of again, warning and be careful. And this is not safe. And I think we're becoming more and more isolated in our self-preservation. And we don't, what we're not realizing, the warnings we're not really grappling with is, what is the danger of isolation? What is the danger of being so afraid of my fellow humans that I, I can't even engage in the world, especially for Christians how do we engage in the world that God has asked us to be very busy in, seeking the peace and prosperity of our cities, um, loving sacrificially our neighbors and even strangers and even enemies? How can we do that if we are so wrapped up in self-preservation? So that's why I wanted to write this book. I really wanted to wrestle with kind of the narratives that I was hearing constantly in society especially in Christian society and the enormous gap and contrast that I see in what Jesus is saying and how Jesus lived and how Jesus is calling his followers to live and engage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought in the toxicity of fear or sort of the addiction to fear. You know, I think mm -hmm. uh, somebody somewhere along the lines in human civilization realized that if you stimulate the amygdala, you can get a lot of people to do a lot of things with a lot of energy. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it's nice that we've progressed past that as a culture, and now no one uses fear and anger to motivate people to do things. No, I think... Oh, that's, uh, that's lovely fiction. <laughs> no, I think you rightly identify that we, 
we can get fear jacked up in many ways. Um, and maybe this, maybe we can press into this, the, the work that the word fear does in the English language, it's, it's such a big word, right? So you talk about how fear is a gift. So if, if a, a wolf is uh, coming for my child, one of the three kids that I, yes. I mentioned you're keeping alive on a daily basis, yeah. uh, then it's good to have some sort of fear so you can respond with virtue to rescue your child. Um, yes. But that fear then gets sort of hijacked or hooked. And so then we see mm -hmm. not just a wolf as danger, but we see like 10,000 wolves. Um, yeah. You know, like everything's a wolf. What, how, like, what, why, why is that? Like, and, and how do you experience that? Like, what are some of the temptations for you either to give in to sort of this hijacking of fear or this bypassing even of fear? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, you, you started out by talking about how now we don't, uh, we don't exploit the amygdala for our own power and gain. <laughs> um, you know, this, that is, you could write the history of humanity um, by looking at the ways that people with power or people who wanted power used our very natural good and normal fears and exploited them to make us reliant on on these powerful people or would-be powerful people. And that has happened through small tribes and large empires throughout history, but it's absolutely happening right now in our own society. Whether it's a whether it's the weatherman who wants me to keep listening through the ads because there's a storm coming my way, or it's it's uh television broadcasters or politicians or unfortunately even a lot of Christian voices are saying uh, I've got a warning for you and it is so important that you keep on tuning in and diverting your time and your energy and your money and your heart and your formation over to me because this is dangerous and what ends up happening is that we become formed by these fears and if you look at the world that Jesus was living in, he was living in the Roman Empire. He was a citizen of an occupied country of the Roman Empire that regularly just picked up guys and crucified them along the side of the road as a warning. Like, you don't want to cross us. And I don't know that many of us can really get into the psychological trauma of that kind of fear-mongering. Um, and yet, it was in that situation that Jesus said to his followers... Don't be afraid, but instead, love each other, serve each other. Even the people that gross you out, that drive you crazy, live a life of active love and service. And it wasn't because there weren't dangers. There were, and Jesus suffered this same humiliating public death. But I think because he, God knows the only way out of our fear that becomes fearfulness, that becomes danger, is for us to opt out and say, love is the force that can turn an enemy into a friend. Love is the force that can take a society rife with injustice and oppression and create some beauty and create a different path. So I don't think that Jesus was ever... I think I'm probably losing sight of your question, <laughs> but I don't think Jesus was ever saying, everything's fine, you know? Take a Pollyannish approach to life. He was saying the stakes are so high 
And we can so easily become the dangerous oppressors ourselves because, mm-hmm. like you said, once you've had that terrible experience with a wolf, you're ready to attack. You're going to attack first next time. But what right. if it's what if it's your neighbor who's coming? What if it's right. your friend? Yeah, and what if you've become the wolf without realizing exactly. it? Right? What if you've become yeah. the powerful one who actually, yeah, who actually has power, but you act as if someone else has power over you, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Catherine, you mentioned the word love, and I know this is a big theme in the book, and obviously scripturally, right? Um, love mm-hmm. drives out fear. We know that from the New Testament. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how love and fear are related, because I think, and actually, as we're recording this, I'm preparing to preach a sermon on Luke 6, where Jesus says, love your enemies. And I think we get this passage and we get this idea wrong. You alluded to it a little bit in your answer to the previous question where I think sometimes we think of love your enemies as like sort of take a chill pill, relax, (laughs) right? Take this like relaxed, like feel affectionate towards people who are hurting you and hurting Hmm. others, right? Um, So what is it, like maybe just tease that out for us, both both what it actually looks like to love our neighbors in a fierce way that actually opposes injustice like you talked about. And also, like, what is that, what is love's relationship to fear and how, how do those interact in Scripture and in our lives? Yeah, well, I'll start with how they interact in Scripture and in our lives. You know, again and again throughout the Bible, God, God's prophets, Jesus, the writers of the epistles are, are putting the two together and saying, perfect love casts out fear. The one who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. Um, Paul says in Romans that... It's through this active agape love of serving each other, of sharing everything that we have, of laying our lives down for others, that we overcome evil. And he talks about enemies. He uses words like enemy and persecutor there. But what really gets me is how active overcoming evil is. Like you're saying, it's not just sort of like laying down and letting evil take over because we're not going to do anything about it. The thing that we're doing about evil is subverting it inside out through love. Um, and I, I think part of the reason why this is so urgent is because, like you said, we become the wolf. And um, that weighs on me so heavily in our current time and place that we have been so profoundly warned about those people that we have stopped being in a relationship with those people and we don't know who they are and we don't know what they think or believe or what they feel, how their hearts are breaking. Uh, we don't know how to be neighbors to them. We have lost the ability even to imagine them as a potential neighbor. We can only see, a, 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 you can't hear my scare quotes, listener, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing scare quotes here. We can't see those people as anything but an enemy. And we can only imagine responding to our enemies by striking first. But what if these are just men, women, and children like ourselves in need of a friend and we're the ones bringing the violence? We're the ones bringing the neglect. Um, That weighs on me so heavily. And as a person, I want to really look at that blind spot that I know humans have and have always had. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we must. This is urgent for us. If our fears are keeping us from loving 
the very people that God has sent us to engage, if our fears keep us from overcoming evil with love, but instead we're contributing to evil, uh, that's, that's devastating. Hi, I'm Deb from Ormond Beach, Florida. One of the best gifts that I received for my journey through a Gravity Leadership cohort was a new perspective on flourishing in life and in ministry. I didn't realize how much of my discipleship was formed by call-out culture. My whole orientation was toward calling out what was wrong or sinful in the world, in my own life, and in the church. But gravity helped me see that Christ was always calling people in toward life and flourishing. And my cohort came to feel kind of like a community garden. We got to practice calling each other in to a deeper awareness of God's life, of His goodness and His love, and how it was bearing fruit in our lives. So if you're looking for a safe space to grow in your life with God and to practice your gardening skills in the life of others, I hope you'll check out the Gravity Leadership Academy. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. I am reminded again that we use words like love in conversations like this, and we sort of assume we all know what we mean, but I've, I've come to suspect that we, we all mean different things by that, or we actually don't quite know what love is. And so I wonder if you could speak maybe more pointedly to mm. how love, so instance, you talk about these three groups of people, right? You talk about love for neighbors, and love for strangers and love for enemies. Uh, those we know, those we don't know, and those <laughs> uh, who should know better, maybe. <laughs> mm. uh, who are, who are do- up to shenanigans and no good. Mm-hmm. How, wh- what's the different, wh- what's the work love does in, say, drawing an, uh, a neighbor close? And how's that different than, like, the work love does in, like, causing a, a person holding a rock to drop it and walk away. Hmm. Wow. Well, starting with the neighbors, I guess they're the closest yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, I was really, I was really struck by how much we view all of these questions from an individualist frame. Um, we really think that Jesus is talking to Catherine or to Matt or to Ben and saying, Catherine, I know it's hard for you to love Ben and Matt. It's not actually, but you know, uh, but work on it, you know, work on it. But when you look at this from kind of putting aside our American individualism that we, we really can't put it aside. I don't think we will succeed at seeing outside of our cultural frame, but, um, Jesus is saying in this command and it was understood at the time based on the scholars that I've, I've leaned on, that Jesus was saying, hey, you all, care for the whole community the way you care for your own families. And that is such a game changer. That's such a mm-hmm. mic drop moment. And then when Jesus extends that, um, look out, you know, make decisions and wrestle with right and wrong and wrestle with how things are going to go down, not just thinking about what will benefit my own family. How can I use my own privilege resources to benefit my own family? 
But how can I use these things for the good of the entire community? Then strangers and enemies get enveloped in that pretty quickly. And we start having to look at things like systematic oppression and injustice and ways that my resources and my privilege are going to feed myself and not benefiting others. Um, So I think when we take off this individualist frame and we start realizing that Jesus was calling a group of people to work for the larger group, and then he put no boundaries on where that larger group ends, but it extends to all of humanity, and there's no loophole. I can't Hmm. be like, well, yeah, but I don't know that guy, or yeah, but that woman, I don't like her. Like, there's no loophole for us to say, I will work, not I, (laughs) see, I I fell into it myself. We will work for the good of all people, no matter what. Um, enemies get eclipsed in that pretty quickly. And I, to, to, you know, put teeth to it like you asked, I hesitate to give specific pieces of advice because it's all so locally driven. Like Mm. the, the injustices, the evil, they all have such a, a local and specific face that I think we do have to wrestle with these things together, um, in our local contexts, And I can't just kind of offer a cliche that's going to overcome evil for all the communities of people who are listening today. Um, But it's not, it's not an easy love, like you said. Um, The word that's often being used here is agape, and it's used in a verb sense. And um, it means really active. It means doing things we don't want to do to benefit the person on the other end or the community on the other end or the group of people on the other end. Um, I, at minimum, I long for our conversations to change because so many of our conversations about people that we would consider strangers or enemies are just drenched in warning and fear um, and us and them language and taking, they're taking something from us or they're threatening us in some way. What if our, at least among Christ followers, if our language of love for enemies said, there is evil in the world, it is real and it is tangible. How can we structure our lives in this actual community in such a way that we are subverting evil from the inside out and the ground Mm. up, not just Mm. putting wallpaper over it, not fleeing, but not, not hiding either. How do we overcome? So Mm. I, I'm not going to give like kind of three, three steps because those will just be cliches, but we have to change the conversation. Mm. Yep. I agree. Catherine, I, I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, I think it's helpful for me, um, when I think about loving enemies, it's helpful for me to remember that the system of oppression, the evil that we're all caught up in, that causes one to oppress another, is dehumanizing for all of us, right? And so part of loving my enemy who is oppressing me or hurting me, part of loving them is calling them out of that oppression. And to do that, I have to name it as oppression. I have to name it Mm -hmm. as evil. I have to name Mm -hmm. it for them and say, what you're doing is wrong, this is how I'm loving you, by naming mm-hmm. the thing that you're doing that's dehumanizing both of us. 
Mm-hmm. And, and we mm-hmm. love them by naming it as evil, but also then calling them into something better. So those, those embodied sort of forms of kingdom community that you talked about, um, I think that's part of, you know, we name, we, name the, we name the harm, but we also say another way is possible and you can join us. You can be part yeah. of this. You're not excluded from this, but you need to put away your, you know, your wicked ways. Um, and I, I really appreciate too, the way that you, the way that you talk about this as being, this has to be embodied in a community. Mm-hmm. Right. These aren't just sort of individualistic ethical injunctions that Jesus gives us um, that happens like inside of our hearts. It is mm-hmm. something that must be cultivated in a community that's able to embody love for mm-hmm. strangers and neighbors and enemies. So thank you. I'm just a, yeah. I'm just getting excited about what you're saying. Kathy. Yeah. You are <laughs> preaching right. to the choir here, but I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> sounds like it sounds like Ben. You're ready to give us the three steps that Catherine uh, doesn't want to give ste- us. So. Oh, actually, the three steps. I, w- I wanted to say something about that too. I wanted to say I appreciate you resisting the three mm-hmm. steps because I think one of the things you said was that mm-hmm. this demands courage and creativity mm-hmm. and imagination. Yeah. Like so, yes. depending on the situation, there's no like one size fits all solution to resisting evil, to loving our enemies. Mm-hmm. There has mm-hmm. to be. And I think even, you know, I I mentioned I was preaching on Luke 6, even the examples Jesus gives there, right? Turning the other cheek, uh, going the extra mile, giving the shirt and not just the coat. Like, even those, they're not like ethical injunctions that I have to figure out how to like do in every area of my life. They're just examples. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, for example, here's how you could subvert the power of someone slapping you in the face is you Mm -hmm. exercise your initiative in 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 an act that was meant to stop the conversation you keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. just a way of being, it's a, it's a way of taking initiative um, in that situation. So I, I appreciate that, that you resist the urge to do the three-step thing uh, because it is, it's sometimes that can end up subverting our own, like the call on each of us and each of our communities to actually creatively pray and imagine what it would look like in our situation mm-hmm. to love our enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think we have to be, again, really courageous and yeah. reliant on God's love and grace that is what's powering this from beginning to end. We, we, there's no fear in love. So we don't need to move forward afraid or move forward anxious that God is angry with us because we're failing. Because you know what, guys? We're not going to make this. We're not going to get 100%. We're not going to hit the bar. But if we keep aiming together towards the bar, we'll make so much progress. And I'm, I'm so humbled by Jesus' description and the Bible's description of who the good guys and the bad guys are. I'm hearing Jesus mm. say, it's the person seeking hospitality, the person who is poor or hungry or, or lacking or in need of of justice. That's the person that God is saying, hey, here's the good guys. And it's those of us that have resources or wealth or privilege that Jesus is pointing a finger at. And somehow we've turned that really upside down. And I want us to have the courage to fear bravely enough to say, is, are the group of people that I think Jesus is frowning at actually the people that Jesus is covering with his wings? Mm. And Come on, Catherine! (laughs) What part of the story am I actually playing? Mm -hmm. Um, God loving his enemies is a gift to us. Yes. 
because we so often are the enemies. Mm. But if we can accept that love and accept that grace enough to take a hard look at ourselves and our society and where God is actually protecting and nurturing and lifting up, then we can join in in kingdom work. And that is amazing. Yes, that's salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for all of us. For all of us, yep. yes. Beautiful. Yep. Beautifully said. You're going to want to send uh, Ben your PayPal link. He's ready to donate. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. the f- what, what, are ooh, we ooh. taking up the offering now? Or what yes. Are we doing? So, Catherine, I, as you're talking, I'm, I'm realizing that the book, the book that we all sort of come in our operating system with, one of the apps that comes preloaded for us hmm. is uh, a cowardly fear that's filled with safe love. That is... You know, we can scapegoat everybody who mm. who is not us, and we can actually create a stronger us if the more we label people who aren't, and then we just and then we're just um, you know we just treat people the way the Gentiles do, right? Mm. We just mm. love people the way Gentiles do. But what you're calling us to is a is a uh, a a courageous a courageous fear like fearing bravely, which moves us out of this safe, insular, in-group love into a love that's with and for other people, that's seeking then to have like no partiality, any Mm -hmm. dividing wall of hostility is torn down, praise the Lord. Mm. And the gospel then gets right to the heart of our biases and prejudices and fears to bring one humanity in place of whatever two we want to invent. Yes, and amen. And make peace. Yeah? And so I just want to thank you for this book. Like, I think hmm. um, the cultural moment we're in, I mean, we're always in this moment, right? We have no, we have no shortage of stories throughout human history where we have gotten this wrong. And I think our cultural moment today is one more time when we're trying to do the wrong thing again. Let's do it yes. wrong better. <laughs> and it's just, it always ends, guess what? Bad. So I, I feel like this book is a gift to us, to our listeners, to the church. Uh, maybe we can close with, if someone if someone finishes this book and they are moving back into their church family community, what are you hoping that they move into that, those spaces, those arenas, with something new, something fresh? Mm-hmm. What kinds of gifts are you hoping this book equips the saints with? Wow. Whew, wow. Well, I touched on this before, but I, I long for our conversations to change. I, I hope that the reader who puts down this book and then walks back into his or her church or community or small group or, you know, library board or PTA um, is looking at some of our cultural assumptions of right and wrong and good guys and bad guys a little bit differently and realizing how difficult Jesus made drawing these lines. Um, hmm. And is willing to have a conversation, um, willing to say, you know, it, it feels good to talk about those people in that way, but I'm hearing Jesus call us to this other thing. Um, you know, I, I heard once that a way to deal with kind of cognitive dissonance is to be like, on the one hand, I'm hearing this, but on the other hand, I'm hearing this. 
And I think that's what I want the reader to do when mm. he or she puts down the book. I want the reader to go into their real-life communities and say, on the one hand, I'm hearing the Christian church or the Christians in America um, or the Christians in this room say, oh, we have to do this and watch out for that or warnings about these people. But on the other hand, I'm hearing this life-giving, beautiful message of God and Jesus that is saying, it's not going to be safe, but there's a kingdom for us to work for. And it's a kingdom where the blessed are not the ones we thought. And um, where all are set free and redeemed and made new and shalom and jubilee. And let's, let's keep our eyes on that prize. Not necessarily me being safe, mm. me being protected and drawing a wall and drawing a line. Let's, let's look at this more beautiful vision. And mm. how can we overcome evil with good mm. by loving our neighbors and our strangers and our enemies? Yes, the book again is called Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. Catherine McNeil, if people are listening and they want to connect with you, how can they do that? Are you available out in the World Wide Webs? I am so available on the interwebs. Uh, you can find me by looking up my name. If you spell it correctly, both Catherine and McNeil are uh, <laughs> both dangerous names to try to spell. Uh, but my website is CatherineMcNeil.com. My Twitter handle is at Catherine McNeil. Same for Instagram, same for Facebook. All right. You'll find me. Yep. Yep. And once, we'll make sure to spell, spell how those names it. correctly. Yes. That's right. Once you right learn right how right. to spell it, you are unavoidable on the internet. You can find, find you anywhere. It's a unique spelling. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so. I can't wait to see you all. Come come hang out. Yes. yes. All right. Well, some strangers will become neighbors, I'm sure, for this <laughs> podcast. Catherine, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.